Hi, and welcome to the Doula UK podcast. My name is Leela Baker, and with me I have Victoria. Victoria, can you introduce yourself? Hi there, I'm Victoria Greenlee. I'm a birth and postnatal doula, and I uh, prepare doulas with my uh, course provider called Unique Postnatal. We prepare uh, postnatal doulas and offer postnatal workshops for doulas. Um, and uh, I am a postnatal doula mentor and uh, doula UK West Sussex rep. Thank you. This episode is a two-part episode and um, it comes with what we call a trigger warning. Um, that means that it contains a topic which might be considered sensitive to some people. Um, and this particular episode contains um, an antenatal diagnosis of a baby and also baby loss. Um, if you are sensitive about those topics or similar topics, then maybe skip this episode and the next episode and we'll see you in a couple of episodes time. Um, for those who are still with us, um, Victoria, uh, please could you tell us about your pregnancy with Skye? Yes, so... Um... Uh, I'm going to track back a little bit um, because I think it's kind of a little bit apart from my, my sort of uh, journey, my birth journey uh, with Sky. Um, I, um, I came to my, uh, I, I have a 10-year-old daughter called Eloise mm -hmm. um, and after my first pregnancy with her, I came to my second pregnancy quite late on. So I was 42 when I um, uh, started trying to conceive again, my second yep. child. Um, and unfortunately, I had a miscarriage at eight weeks um, with my second pregnancy. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, it was at that time that <clears throat> I started to uh, sort of enter a world of um, understanding a bit more about baby loss. Mm -hmm. um, and after that, I, I decided that I needed to really look after myself a lot more. I'd been quite depleted, actually, when I'd had my miscarriage. So I started um, uh, doing some acupuncture and um, practicing a bit more self-care, yeah. thinking about what I ate, um, and became very interested in, particularly in pregnancy over the age of 40. Mm -hmm. I, knew, I, I knew I was aware that there can be challenges. So um, I started to read a lot of, uh, quite a few books um, and a lot of websites. I did get myself into um, a little bit of a, a little bit of a state sometimes, mm -hmm. I admit mentally, <clears throat> in thinking about how I could conceive in my 40s um, and started, you know, asking a lot of questions on, on forums. Yep. Um, and, do you mean, do you mean mentally or physically? How? Um, mentally, mm -hmm. mentally, there's a massive, I went on a massive roller coaster ride and I became a bit obsessional, I have to admit, um, in finding out about how likely it is you can conceive in your 40s mm -hmm. um and with that as with that in mind i started to uh think well you know th this has to be possible surely you know i've got a, i've got a cycle um and i i started to go on a bit of an interesting fertility journey which ended up in, in me speaking to a fertility therapist just one conversation mm -hmm. Um, and going to even a, a, a workshop about pregnancy, even before I'd conceived. Okay. Uh, and, um, and with that in mind, I think I started to release myself mentally mm -hmm. um, from the kind of roller coaster. 
and started to think, yes, I can do this. This is possible. I was very impatient, but um, actually I conceived Sky nine months after my miscarriage. Okay. Um, I was at the age of 43. That nine months um, can feel like a very long time, though, when you're waiting. It did. It yeah. felt like an eternity. Mm-hmm. And because I'd been very lucky in conceiving my first daughter within three months, yeah. um, I kind of had expected a similar situation. I'd also conceived um, my second pregnancy within three months yeah. as well. Yeah. So when Sky took uh, nine months to mm-hmm. be conceived, for me that was that was kind of quite a lot of torture yeah. to be quite yeah. honest. But um, after I'd conceived her, I was, I mean, I was over the moon. Mm-hmm. I was elated. But in my mind, having, you know, fairly recently had a miscarriage, I was really, really concerned about the first 12 weeks of my pregnancy. Yeah. Um, additionally, I had very bad sickness. It mm-hmm. wasn't quite hyperemesis, but um, really very terrible morning sickness, um, a lot of vomiting and... Um, also very bizarre food cravings mm-hmm. so I had craved um salami and frankfurters oh. um, which are not particularly good for you but it was really the only thing I could stomach um and I had been become you know aware of better nutrition than previously in my life yeah because I'm trying to conceive in my 40s so I did find that quite distressing <laughs> yes. Yes. Only, only wanted to eat those two foods um but uh but anyway, I, I, I was, uh, I remember at about 11 weeks of my pregnancy, I got past the eight weeks. So I kept reading all these statistics about, you know, obviously the further along you go, yep. the statistical risk of losing a baby starts to drop. Yep. And every week I kept thinking, okay, the statistics yep. gone down. Making it through, making it through the short list. Yep. Yeah. Making it through. And I got to 11 weeks. I was like, oh my God. And well, interestingly enough, I started to feel movement mm-hmm. at 11 weeks, mm-hmm. sky moving. Yeah. Um, and then I knew, and because of the sickness, because I hadn't felt any sickness in my second pregnancy, um, <clears throat> I knew that um, I was kind of perhaps out of the woods in mm-hmm. terms of an early miscarriage. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so then um, I started to prepare for my nuchal fold scan mm-hmm. um, between 12 and 14 weeks. Yeah. And how was that? So, um, so I went uh, with trepidation, but I, I, I knew that my baby was alive because I could feel my baby. Yeah. Um, and so I went to the scan, and I don't think I was very prepared for the scan at all. Um, it, it, it made me, you know, in hindsight, we don't really prepare mentally for that scan, I don't think, as we should. No. So I went along, you know, thinking, you know, what you know we're going to just have a scan uh, and we know that there's additional testing but I don't think I'd really thought that through so when we started to have the testing and the measurement of the nuchal fold the nuchal fold was really quite large so um you know it, it is a it is a while since I've thought about this but um you know it it sort of ideally should be under, I think, 1.4 centimetres. Okay. Um, no, so what, sorry, not centimetres, 1.4 millimetres. Uh, and in fact, it was much larger than that. It was, 
them. I'm getting, I'm getting my centuries. It's okay. We can put we can put a link to the the information about it in the comments of the of the podcast, so we can we can signpost to that. Yes. So anyway, it was on the larger side. The measurement came out as um, seven point four, I think it was. Um, and I can always remember the sonographer looking at me and going, "Your baby does have a very large nuchal fold." So I was like, oh my gosh, okay, what does that mean? Um, and then she did the, uh, the, the the test for Down syndrome diagnosis and um, it came back as one in two for Down syndrome. Okay. Um, how did they deliver that news to you? It was kind of weird. It was just, you know, when they're looking all round the scan of the baby, I could just hear the sonographer going, mm, um, mm, sort of making a noise. Mm-hmm. And, and already at that time, I started to think, what's going on? What's going on? What's wrong? What's wrong? Yeah. Um, and then uh, she turned to me and she just sort of went, I'm, I'm sorry. And I was like, for what? Um and she said, the nuchal fold is very big. And then she said, your baby is also uh, one in two. So you have to remember, this is a bit of a blur for me. Yeah, yeah. So I can't remember when I had the blood test, because mm-hmm. it was the blood test, wasn't it? That was the blood test result. Yeah. Um, so uh, one one in two chance, she said. Yeah. Um, and she just went, I'm sorry. Yeah. And I was a bit like, oh. And then I was sort of... Just remember if I was shunted out of the room. Um, and then, yes, it all happened quite quickly. I was sort of shunted out of the room. And then I met uh, a midwife who took me into another room mm-hmm. and sort of explained. Uh, so then a consultant came in and sort of explained, uh, the, the, you know, what we knew so far. So the other thing that can go with the nuchal fold is that um, your baby could have high drops okay. which in the part called uh, dropsy, okay. which is fluid within the membranes of the baby. Mm-hmm. Um, it could have also been a heart condition, mm-hmm. a congenital heart defect. Um, and so then those the prognosis for a baby with either of those could be life completely life-limiting. Yeah. So after that, I started to think, oh, my gosh, I actually hope my baby has Down syndrome. Yeah. Because yeah. Um, then I know my baby had, mm. is more compatible with life. Mm-hmm. So um, they they talked to me about, again, uh, talking to ARC, which is the charity that can help um, talk through antenatal choices and results. I mm-hmm. think it's called Antenatal Results and Choices. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can remember coming home. And thinking, right, I've got to wait now. It's the waiting. Yeah. And were you offered a choice to continue the pregnancy or not? So so what happened was, obviously, I didn't know then what, what the result was. So then mm-hmm. they said they would bring me, obviously. Uh, so sorry. So then I had um, amniocentesis. Mm-hmm. I decided I needed to know because the risk of um, my baby dying in any case was pretty high. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so then they said that, you know, they would give me the results of the amnio. So I waited at home 
uh, for I think it was a few days. Uh, you know, seemed like the longest the yeah. time. You know, we watched the, the clock ticking. Yeah. Um, and then a few days later, a midwife phoned me. Um, and I was I can remember sitting on the stairs in my house, um, and she said, "I was like, you know, what what are the results?" And she said, yes, your baby has Down syndrome. Yep. And actually, I remember I remember the relief. I actually sl- cried with relief mm-hmm. um, because I knew that my baby didn't have a, a difficult, you know, I knew there was a chance of life. Yep. Um, and then she told me that my, my, my baby was a little girl. Um, so I wanted to know straight away, yep. you know, the baby I was carrying. And um, about the first question she did ask me, was would you like to terminate this pregnancy um which i found quite a little bit shocking a little bit upsetting i'd have rather have talked about all the other things and yeah. how i was feeling and what yeah. i was thinking and what, what, what you know what support was there out there straight away for me to work through uh, my choice yeah or what would happen and but that was the first question so um uh, you know maybe for some maybe for some people that would have been what they would have wanted to hear straight away yeah but for me I wanted to hear all those other questions um so I found that a little bit upsetting I have to say yep um so you carried on with the pregnancy yes so in order to carry on with the pregnancy I had to have another scan at 16 weeks which would have told me how uh, how compatible my baby's Down syndrome was with life. Okay. Because there are different degrees of severity in terms of some of the symptoms that come with Down syndrome. Yeah. So one of them in particular also, which explains the large nuchal fold, is that many babies with Down syndrome have, um, you know, heart defects. Okay. Um, which can be life limiting yeah. and can be that babies with Down syndrome will will die in utero. Okay. So I so we so I had this scan at sixteen weeks to check all the organs in my baby's body, and that was another. It, it's a bit like waiting for your own execution. To yeah. be quite honest. Yeah. Wait to see if your baby's body is compatible with life. Yeah. But at 16 weeks, um, we went for the scan. I don't even know how I got through those four weeks. I do remember trying to, um, you know, see some good friends and obviously trying to distract myself, mm-hmm. but it was always there. So at 16 weeks, um, when we went for the scan, and I, I, I could barely look, my eyes you yeah. know, were tight flat, yeah. and then started to go around the body. And in fact, the, the, the prognosis was extremely positive. Mm-hmm. There's no obvious signs of, of heart problems or bowel, bowel problems could often go with Down syndrome. Okay. Um, yeah, everything in my baby's body looked relatively normal. Um, you couldn't, you, well, it looked pretty normal. You couldn't really see a difference between mm-hmm. Sky and a baby that didn't have Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. So that sort of heartened me. Um, and then... There are repetitive scans, obviously, in terms of you, you are scanned more if you have a baby with yep. a prognosis. Um, and so the next scan was scheduled at 20 weeks. Mm-hmm. And I went at 20 weeks and I was feeling more upbeat. And the 20-week scan showed that she was developing very well. There was nothing to be concerned about. And I started to relax. I started mm-hmm. to relax in my pregnancy yep. and started to prepare 
and then um, you know I went on holiday and I remember having an amazing holiday um, and Sky was was a baby that moved quite a lot mm-hmm. in a very different way to the way that Eloise had moved so you know when you have a, a baby without a diagnosis yeah. or without Down syndrome should I say yeah. um, you know you can feel some quite strong kicking and some quite strong movement against your uteri yeah. wall and against your stomach um but with her I always felt this more sort of fluttering mm-hmm. and it was much more gentle um and I was it, it was such a an amazing experience to to have such a different feeling I felt like I had a little a little butterfly or something yeah. that was yeah. in her so um so yes I, I, I started to feel very positive mm-hmm. and then um, at what point did you did were you aware that something wasn't right? Well, that's the thing. I wasn't. Um, so I remember. So we we all decided that perhaps there was no need to scan. You know, scans do cause anxiety. It's quite yes, they do. Yeah. From this perspective, is that they can and you know perhaps they should be you know used with um, with, with with good reason and with with this informed choice. So I decided to not have any more scans until later on. Um, and, you know, the medical professionals sort of agreed, you know, we, we want to minimise the anxiety. So um, so I decided, uh, so I decided also to have a home birth with Sky. Okay. Um, and uh, which was, you know, a lot of people would go, oh my gosh, how on earth did you manage to even, you know, how did the medical professionals in a way let you do that? Yeah, but you're and, a doula. So, you know, it. actually so, that for me is, is not surprising. <laughs> I, feel, I feel almost bad about that though. I feel it's... It's, it's doula the, privilege. Uh, it is the baby, it's the privilege. Yeah, but, we, you know, know what, we know what we need to know. Yeah. I was going to be 44. I have a, a higher BMI yep. and a baby with Down syndrome. I mean, oh my God, why am I not being, you know, shunted straight yeah. into that? Because we tell, we, we, we spend our working lives helping people to know that they have choices and it's, it's, it, it's all your choice. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And I needed to know for sure if there had been good reason... So I talked to the home birth midwives and they had, there were birth, there are home births where babies had Down syndrome. Now, admittedly, they were often postnatal diagnoses. Mm-hmm. So babies with Down syndrome can be born naturally in the way that any other baby can be born yep. naturally. Yep. Um, and so, um, so, so I started to prepare for a home birth um, and things were going well and we were checking I do I do remember about I think I was about 30 weeks I started to get a higher fluid level my stomach felt quite taut okay yep and I thought right okay we're just going to see how this goes for a couple of days and then I'll you know I'll go in for a scan if need be and then it's just sort of naturally dropped off so I didn't I I didn't go in for a scan Mm -hmm. because I thought right it's gone Um, okay yep and then you went in for a scan no, I decided not to go in because the, the the fluid just dissipated and, and I felt fine and I could still feel movement. Um, and she moved quite a lot. Um, and then at 34 weeks, the home birth midwife came round um, and uh, obviously we had a, a, a scan with a Doppler in my home. And 
maybe I should have been concerned, but, uh, you know, in hindsight, at 34 weeks. So it took a while to find her heartbeat. Okay. But but it was found. So, and what was interesting is I'd felt movement just before the Doppler scan. Mm-hmm. So I felt her kick. The doc- then we had uh, the Doppler scan, and the um, it took a while to find a heartbeat, but we found her heartbeat. So then the midwife said to me, "I think you've got you've got Braxton Hicks. Um, I think you've got quite a few tightenings." And she said, "So she felt and felt for my baby's head, and she said, I think your baby's head down, and." In, I've, I've always known, and it is it is a known thing, that babies with Down syndrome do often come early. Mm-hmm. So there was a part of me that thought, you know, if my baby makes it past sort of 35 weeks, I'm doing quite quite well. Yeah. Um, and if if I can get to 37 weeks and have, you know, the home birth, that would be great. Yeah. Um, but um, I then felt like I was starting to perhaps go into late labor shortly after that mm-hmm. at sort of assessment. So what happened was her movements changed. So in that in the subsequent weeks, it was about two weeks, I felt like she was head down, she was moving in a different way. Mm-hmm. So it was more a side to side movement. Yep. Okay. Um, and because I had felt the kicking, I thought, right, well, this is happening, and I don't think it's too long. At about 36 weeks plus six, my mucus plug came out. Mm-hmm. I thought, right, we're getting in. If we can make it 37, I thought, that, you know, I'm not going to make it long past 37 weeks, I don't think. Yeah. And so I was called in for my last scan, which I was happy to go in for. Um and when I went in to the sonographer's room, I was lying there and the sonographer started to move the uh, ultrasound around. And unfortunately, then she turned to me and she said, I'm sorry, I can't find your baby's heartbeat. Okay. And she said to me, um, I'm sorry, it wasn't meant to be this time. And I was shocked. I was just that it's, I felt like the room just caved in. I felt totally numb and also very bizarrely said in a very professional voice, okay, thanks for letting me know. That was my reaction because it was so, the way it was delivered and the way I felt I had to answer that was, was numbing. And then again, I was sort of shunted out of the room very, very quickly. Again, it's all quite a blur. And I was shunted into another waiting room. And the midwife that had, I was slightly under her care as well as the home birth team. She came in very quickly. And she, I mean, she was lovely. Um, And then my consultant, the home birth consultant, who was actually also a friend of mine, came running, you know, she was called in. So a few of the, and, and and another consultant was called in. And, and they were pretty shocked as well, actually. Yeah. Um, so um, I can't, you know, you know, in hindsight, maybe if I'd had more scanning, maybe, but as I think probably I'd have to have been scanned, you know, really a lot more because uh, it, it, in the end I found out what, you know, 
a little bit about what happens. I can talk about that in a bit. Yeah. Um, how did you then prepare for the birth, for having, you know, giving birth to Sky? Yeah. yeah, so when I was in the room, I just turned to the midwife. I said, I want a C-section. Um, I want I want to have my baby out now. I, I can't deal with this. Yeah. I, I don't want to see her. I don't want to. I, I, I just want to pretend this, this all hasn't happened and I haven't actually got a baby inside me yeah. who is dead and I want to have this baby removed very quickly. Yeah. And uh, they were like, um, let's just give you a few days to think about things. Mm-hmm. So I went home and... I actually started. I started doing doing Doctor Google. I yep. started googling like mad. I was like, you know, what do I need to do? What am I going to do? Um, what were you looking actually, for? What was the question you were looking for the answer to? I was looking for the question about. In, I think I was just looking for the question whether I should have a C section, and also uh, what it was going to be like. What, what was it going to be like to give birth to a to a baby who died? Yeah. Um, how you know I was frightened mm-hmm. I was scared mm-hmm. what was this baby going to look like what 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 had happened why had it gone wrong what had I done wrong had I should I should I've noticed something should I have seen something should I have been aware of something how could I have not noticed how could things have changed and I didn't didn't protect my baby you know then you start why didn't I have more scans why didn't I do this yep um spiraling at, yeah, spiraling, and your yeah. brain's just all over the place, backwards and forwards. And so I, um, I, I did have a, a bereavement midwife phoned me, and we started to talk about the options for birth. And obviously, what what they were offering me was an induction. Mm-hmm. Now I knew at that point my my body was in labour. Yeah, a, a very latent, a very gentle labour because the mucus plug had had come. My body was trying to birth my dead baby. Yeah. And um, the thing was, there obviously wasn't enough hormonal release for it to happen. Yeah. There wasn't enough oxytocin, as you can imagine. There was no hormonal trigger, obviously, from my baby. And it made me think, you know, what happened to women in times past? But um, obviously, I started to read that there is a risk of infection. Yeah. Um, So I knew that I had to birth my baby, you know, in not too long a time. Because I didn't know how long my baby had died. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I decided to go for induction, mm-hmm. and I decided to be booked in, and I decided also that I absolutely needed someone else with me apart yeah. from my own partner, yeah. from my husband. And so I was very lucky that um, Michelle Every, who is a, a doula who has supported baby bereavement, yeah. um, I had met her when I'd done just after I'd had my my miscarriage. I had done one of her workshops, her Every Birth Matters workshops. Yeah, I've done that workshop. And so I made contact with her then, and um, we just kept in contact just on and off, and um, she agreed to come. So she literally Zoomed down from Manchester, and um, we I was booked in uh, for the induction. Okay. Can you tell us how the birth went? Yeah, I mean, you can imagine. I was, I, mean, I was petrified. Yeah. I don't think I've ever been so frightened in my entire life. Um, I didn't know how I was going to react. So again, I started googling again and thinking, you know, what's it going to be like? 
what's my baby going to look like? And I actually started Googling pictures of babies that had uh, been, uh, that, that were stillborn. Mm-hmm. I thought, I've got to see a picture of a baby that's died because I'm going to have to look at my own baby that's died. Um, and so what's interesting is in the past, women who had a stillbirth, once their baby was born, the baby would have been removed and they would never have seen their baby. Yeah. Um, but obviously now there is a lot more awareness and part of me was thinking, oh God, wouldn't that be a lot better to not see my babies, just have the baby removed and just like pretend nothing had happened, you know, it hadn't happened. Um, but, you know, with, with, with reading and with looking at pictures, I knew logically that it was much better for me to see my baby and to, to, um, you know, know her. And I, and actually I wanted to see her, you know, in my heart, I knew I wanted to see her. So, um, so we went for the induction and, um, it was at St. George's Tooting and um, there is a suite, a bereavement suite called the Forget Me Not Suite. I know it well. So, yeah. yeah. So um, we went uh, in and we met um, a bereavement counsellor and the bereavement midwife. And I can't really remember that conversation. It was all a bit of a blur, but it was something to do with, you know, I hope it goes well. Um, and, you know, you can come see me afterwards. Yeah. Um, and then the bereavement midwife came in and some of her language was a bit perplexing for me I'm afraid to say and I don't know uh I think oops sorry I just had a blip then it's okay Uh, um I think that um I need to be honest that the language was not great she did say to me because I I was saying you know what, what did I do wrong and I can't believe this has happened and she kind of made out that it was all, she said, it's always been written in your stars, this was going to happen to you. Was that, you know, it's your fate that this was going to happen to you. And I just was like, oh my God, really? Is that meant to be for me? Yeah. Um, people, people kind of, you know, imposing a philosophy on you for, on your behalf. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So she was, she was imposing her philosophy on me. I feel the same um, way about everything happens for a reason. Yes. You know, I can yes, see no is. good reason that yeah. my daughter died. Yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So thank you. That's exactly yeah. the sort of analogy that yeah. she was really making. Um, and so I sat there in slight shock at that comment. Um, and then the, um, I think, yeah, so he, a, a, an obstetrician came in and I received uh, an induction pill, which is obviously very different from the way you are induced with a living baby. Yeah. Um, I was actually induced with Eloise. So um, luckily I'd had some thoughts about how to cope during induction. Yeah. Um, and I was a bit worried about the pain. Obviously it's more painful. And the the, the induction pill is also, uh, with, with stillbirth, is, is more um, uh, harsh in a way. It, okay. it gives stronger contractions very quickly. Yeah because you don't have to worry about a baby's heartbeat. Right. So it literally to help you sort of, you know, sounds awful, but to expel, expel your baby. Expel, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's what I slightly felt was happening. I was going to expel my baby. Um, so so I had I had the, the pill, and we were there was a, another room in the in the bereavement suite, which was great. You could sort of hang out and yeah. chat in there. Yeah. 
and it didn't take very long. I think it was about an hour, and suddenly I started to have quite strong contractions. Yeah. And so my husband and, and the doula were chatting, and then I just walked up out of the room, and I got onto a bed on all fours, and I started to feel the birthing process happening, yeah. and that's what I'm going to call it now. Yeah. It wasn't an expulsion of my baby. No. I was birth my baby. Yes. So this is where it suddenly changed. I knew psychologically I was going to birth my baby. I had a doula. I mean, the suite was absolutely lovely. Mm. So much more privacy. Yeah. Um, and um, the, the midwives came in. So what happened was very quick. And I said, my baby's coming quite soon. I knew it was happening. So the midwives came in and I said, I want to birth in the bath. I want to, there was a bath next yeah. door. But in just the same way that we would want to create those conditions yep. for birth, I wanted that. So I turned off, I made everyone turn off all the lights and I got into a warm bath and um, uh, I didn't want that many people around me. So yep. I said to, to just back off really and just be further away. Mm -hmm. um, and I started to, to labour in the bath and very quickly, I mean, I think, that, that whole second part um, was only about an hour. Mm -hmm. I did start to feel her legs coming. Okay. So in fact, in fact, sky was breached. Okay. Uh, she wasn't head down. Um, so I could feel her legs coming and her legs came out first. Um, and then her, her bum came and the pain was, was, you know, nothing like I had imagined. Yeah. I didn't have, any, I didn't have any pain relief actually. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> And uh, her, her bottom came, and then eventually her whole body came. It was actually relatively easy. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, that's maybe because she was a smaller baby. She was, um, I think, four pounds, ten ounces when she was born. Um, so it was very, uh, there was candlelight. Um, it was very beautiful, actually. Yeah. It was quite calm and serene. Um, and I'm grateful for that. And the midwives afterwards, actually, and I feel actually really sad about this. They told me that it was the most beautiful birth they'd ever seen. Yeah. Um, because I don't think they had actually witnessed that many, in a way, natural vaginal deliveries yeah. without pain relief and with the atmosphere that we had created. Yeah, and with the, the birthing, you know, you, the birthing mother, deciding, you know, knowing what you wanted and yes. being able to fully trust your instincts about where to be yes yeah absolutely yeah um so um and it was a very different birth for me because Eloise had been induced at St George's and that had been although a positive birth for me was a long and quite painful challenging birth yeah yes yeah an assisted delivery with her yeah. um I I I actually found this the whole birthing process for me with Sky was was really very healing mm -hmm. in in a number of ways not only to know that your body can do it yep but so to know that i could have this birth how i wanted it yeah um and then how what happened after she was born so after she was born the midwives did take her away quite quickly because they do like to let you see your baby in its best form yeah and I, we have to be honest about this. I, I suspect that my baby had died somewhere between 34 and 35 weeks. Okay. So I was carrying her for probably up to two weeks. Yeah. 
And this is the other frightening thing is that I didn't know what she would look like. Yeah. Because there would have been some deterioration. Um, so um, they brought her back, wrapped up. Um, and I had taken in, so I'd taken in something for her to wear. And I had taken in, um, uh, Eloise had had brought, had given me um, a loom band bracelet. Mm-hmm. For her. I tried to get some token that could go with her from us. Um, it was a hard one because I, I didn't know what I wanted her to have really mm-hmm. to go with her. Yeah. And it makes things perhaps a bit more complicated in some ways that I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not religious, I'm not Christian, and all these things sort of come into play. Is how you feel about death and, and where your baby death, has gone, where your baby's soul has gone, or spirit, or essence. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't know where she had gone, and I didn't know what to leave her, and I didn't know what was going to happen next. Yeah. So I didn't know how her body was actually going to be processed. Um, these are all things you don't think about and no. they're all put you right all in one go in one moment. Um, and so when she came, I looked at her and I remember having done Dr. Google, everyone had said, you may not feel like it now, but get as much as you can from your baby. Spend as long as you can yeah. and take, it sounds like take as much as you can. Yeah. But that, in that sense, it means, you know, take the hair, a lock of hair. Yeah. Um, the footprints, footprints lots of photos yeah I mean there was a limited number of photos I'd like again I'd like to have taken more and the other thing that I do slightly regret but I had to feel that this way is because she was so fragile and she had died for a while I didn't want to hold her because I felt like she would disintegrate my arms and I just wanted to remember her whole yeah so I didn't ever hold her. My husband held her, but I didn't have that chance. And I do, I do regret that. Yeah. Um, but I tried to stay with her as long as possible. And I made them open up all the blankets. I wanted to look at her. Mm-hmm. I wanted to look at all her body. I wanted to look at her hands. I wanted to look at her feet. I wanted to look at her chest, everything. Yeah. And see her. And, you know, what was hard is that she was like a much smaller version of my other daughter. Mm-hmm. She looked very yeah but much much smaller and and with down syndrome yeah so her her face shape was slightly different um and so I, I made sure and michelle was with me we made sure we had that time and they took her away for a while so i could recover and then they brought her back in again uh yeah so we had photos and the handprints and the hand cast as well yeah. so i could actually feel the indentation of her hands mm-hmm of hair and and you get given a box with um things to help you with your memories yeah so there were candles and a little teddy bear um and all sorts of things i have at home yeah um and can you tell us about some of the things you found helpful from your support network yeah so after so I, I, I went home very quickly after birth, after her birth. I didn't want to stay in hospital overnight. Um, once I, I didn't bring her home in a cooler box either no. because that is an option for, mm-hmm. um, for parents. Um, but I just felt that um, it wasn't right in this situation. And so I went home 
And I was like, oh my gosh, that's it, right, that's it over. And the first few days were just a complete blur. Um, I felt physically actually quite well, considering because of the natural nature of of birth. My recovery was very good, it was very quick. Um, So I started to think, yeah, who who is my support network? Who's gonna get me through? Um, And obviously being a doula, I was very lucky that um, a, a doula that I knew quite well, she organized a rota of doulas to come in and see me. Mm-hmm. Um, and they came and they brought food. So practical considerations, having people come with food. Um, and um, I, I just felt like I was drifting in a sort of ether. I was sort of floating above the orbit. Yeah. The rest of the world, the operational part of the world, I couldn't engage with. I wasn't interested in, you know, where where my clothes going to be clean, who's going to put a wash on, um, who's going to make dinner, all that stuff, that day-to-day stuff, I just couldn't even think about. Yeah, that stop the world, I want to get off feeling, Uh, you know, I'm I'm, I'm not on the same, I'm not on the same track as anyone else right now, yeah. No, I'm just not part of this whole thing that's going on with everyone else. Yeah. Um, And... um, I, I was very lucky some friends had some friends turn up with one friend, an old friend, uh, an old boyfriend, actually, mm-hmm. it was quite bizarre. I hadn't seen him for quite a while, hadn't seen him for years. He just turned up at my door one day with bags of shopping, food. Wow. Uh, people, I mean, I did find the messages, the constant messages really hard to cope with. Yeah. People, you know, your Facebook is pinging the whole time. Yeah. Um, there were, um, you know, people sending me flowers so there was a lot of, um, you know, notes with the flowers, but the flowers actually quite upset me because they were so beautiful. But when they died... It was, it was the... Like, oh, my gosh. I'm, I'm so glad you said that because for me it, was the, it wasn't the flowers, it was the dead flowers. Um, and I still, yeah. I still find dead flowers actually quite triggering. Um, yeah. If I've got... Yeah. A, if someone is, you know, kind enough to bring me a bunch of flowers, I really do appreciate them. And then what I like is for someone else in my house to quickly get them, get rid of them once they are, you know, on their way out, because it just, it just feels so like a visible, tangible, you know, example of exactly how you feel, you know, is that that's it. You had that beautiful thing and now you don't have it. It is, it is there and it is dead. It's not just gone. It's dead. You know, it's dead yeah. and you can watch it dying. Yeah. I just thought I can't keep yeah. watching things yeah. die. And then having so to I deal can... with it once it's dead as well. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they were so beautiful as well. You know, they weren't your bog standard garage roses. No. You know, people were sending <laughs> full on, you yeah. know, I don't know, white company or something, mm-hmm. flowers, uh, white company, but really yeah. nice flowers. Yeah. Um, I found that the, the people that sent me, so a lot of people sent me quite considerate gifts. Mm-hmm. So um, someone sent me um, a little necklace with a charm on it. Mm. My home birth consultant uh, friend, um, she sent me, again, although I'm not religious, um, she sent me a silver angel to mm-hmm. wear a pendant, and I've made up my own sky pendant. Yeah. Um, with an S um, and the angel, and also I have an E for Eloise mm-hmm. and a big pearl, yep. and I love wearing that pendant. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, 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 somebody, I think it was a doula, um, uh, so, so sorry doula, you know, it's all a bit of a blur, so remember exactly who it was, <laughs> but, but somebody sent me um, a beautiful card with sky um sort of engraved out of the card. Yep. Um, it was, it's, as this is a podcast, I can't, I 
you know, part of me would love to show you my collection and yep. sort of thing. But um, what I decided in the end is to have a shelf, my sky shelf, um, which has her and all the mementos. Yeah. Um, the letters that, you know, people wrote me some really beautiful letters. Um, people I haven't seen for years. Um, and so what I would say is you start to know who your true friends are. I don't know if you found that. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And I also have a rosy shelf. Um, okay. And yes. it has all of the cards, all the, you know, and that kind of thing. Um, I was sent, um, just to give my my online my online sisters a mention, um, I, I was sent a charm um, by t- two t- two charms by two separate groups of online sisters, and um, they they you know I still use those charms. I've, I've added to them since then. You know all things that remind me of Rosie, um, and yeah, it it did. It was it was funny the people who I didn't hear from who I was surprised not to hear from. Um, and then the yeah. and the, the people from across the world who you know reached out to make sure that we were okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think it's good to know. Unfortunately, there was a negative um, reaction from some people. So I found um, I found that going back and getting into the normal part of life, particularly as I have another child, so the sort of school gates yeah. were a real challenge. So people were either coming up to me and going, you know, how's your baby? Yeah. And then you'd have they my baby's died yep. and the horror and shock and you'd almost feel bad that you'd have to break yes that to yes that that was that was really challenging um I had one friend unfortunately who saw me walking the street and walked to the other side of the road and didn't acknowledge me oh, gosh. clearly not knowing how to um how to react mm-hmm. um I had um yes uh, if in doubt friend, you offer a hug you know yes yeah <laughs> It made me really think how we can react to people that have obviously had a bereavement yeah. and what to say and what not to say. And um, as you say, it, it's a hug is absolutely fine or um, I don't quite know what to say, yeah. but I'm here for you. Yeah. Or, um, uh, you know, tell me about your baby. Uh, maybe that comes in time. I don't mm-hmm. know because I'm now so I'm three years on since yeah. Sky's bereavement. Um, and, um, I, I definitely want people to talk about her now. Um, I don't know how you feel about Rosie, whether you like talking about her, but it depends on who I'm talking to, what the context is and when I was last triggered (laughs) generally. Yeah. 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 It's actually, sometimes it's easier with a stranger than it is with people I know. Um, but it, it really just depends. And that, you know, it could be the same person say the same thing twice and have, I have a completely different reaction. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think everyone, you know, obviously every bereavement is different. You you had a different set of circumstances. Um, And uh, every, um, uh, you know, from reading a lot of forums, um, everyone reacts to baby bereavement really differently. There is no consensus on that. Uh, But in terms of just people, uh, knowing when to give you space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And knowing when to just provide, just as a doula would, that really empathetic holding space support. That is obviously the ultimate. And I don't think it's very easy for people to do. No, but, you know, I'm here. You don't have to reply, um, but I'm here if you need me. 
Yeah. Yeah. So people would say really, really hurtful things. I remember um, people who, people who didn't mean to would say things like, uh, I remember when I start, we started another school and someone came up to me and said, um, you know, ha- quite often the question, how many children do you have yeah. is a really tricky one. Yeah. How many children? And sometimes I think, do you really want to know the answer to this question? I think when people ask that question, they have to think very carefully how they ask that. Yeah. Um, so um, I-, I would say, uh, sometimes I would just say one. Um, and I remember this woman then saying, um, Oh, well, you don't want to, two are such a pain. Oh, you know. gosh. Which is, um, in, you know, it's completely innocent, but at the same time, yes. for you know, for you who did want to, you know, or more, you know, that's yes. just, it's just really, really upsetting. Yes, yes. Or you're so lucky just having one. Yeah. Or um, uh, one woman said to me, oh, well, at least you've got, at least you've got one, yeah. at least you've got one child. Yeah. And I felt like going... Well, you know, if your child dies, would you want me to say, well, at least you've got the other one? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the, the, the reaction from, you know, some friends, the wider public, the day-to-day people that you meet has been really quite triggering and really quite hard to process. Yeah. Um, so if we're talking a bit about sort of the after, um, I, I think it might be just very good for me to sort of talk about the therapy that I had mm-hmm. because I think this is really important is that so uh, after Sky died I was offered some bereavement counselling in the hospital yeah. and um, I went in and I had I think about three sessions with the bereavement counsellor and you know that was very much she gave me some really interesting tips about sort of baby grief in particular. Was it in the same hospital? Um, it was in the same hospital. See, I had that oh, yeah. too, and I found that. I mean, I don't know if that was an, a deliberate part of the therapy process, but for me, going there, if you know, for those sessions was really painful. Just walking into the grounds was really painful. Yeah. It it um it is awful. I mean, she offered to meet me at the the top of the lift, mm-hmm. but it's very close to the antenatal. Yeah. Room. You sort of get hunted around the side. Yeah. Um. I know that, you know, in the past it was even worse that people were, um, you know, going in and birthing stillborn babies literally in the in in the main yeah. you know, labour yeah. ward. Um, and they really still need to think that's through a mm-hmm. little bit more, I think. Yeah. I mean, they should provide some kind of off-premises pre- off office yeah. or, you know, meets in a coffee shop or somewhere or something. Yes, yeah. yes. So, um, and then I moved, completely moved location. So, obviously, I moved from southwest London to West Sussex um, very shortly after Sky had died. And I kept thinking, you know, what therapy can I have here? And there was, you know, I wasn't obviously, I hadn't birthed any of the local hospitals. Yeah. And they hadn't given me a care plan to think about that. So, I knew I was going to have to do this on my own. Mm-hmm. So I actually went to my local GP and they offered me the time to talk system, okay. which is offered to anybody, you know, on, on the NHS with, uh, you know, perhaps something they want to talk, discuss about their mental health. So I had no idea how they would cope with baby grieving, but I knew I needed more. Yeah. So I went in and they, uh, no, I didn't. Yes. Yeah, so they said, you can, you can self-refer. And then the really tricky part, self-referral, is you have to go through all these phone assessments where they keep assessing you, 
but then you they they sort of decide if you need therapy. Yeah. So you have to talk about the whole. Are you upset enough? Are you upset enough? Are you falling apart enough on the phone to warrant yes. help? Um, and then yes. you get off the phone and you're there feeling terrible and on your own. Yes. Yeah. And you've got no resolution. No. So it's a bit like lifting somebody's birth trauma, yeah. which is the thing we know we would never do, yeah. and then not resolving it yeah. on the spot. Yeah. So I was constantly left with this non-resolved grief. Um, and uh, and then I um, finally got, yes, the go-ahead. Um, and I, was, I wasn't quite sure how many sessions I'd be offered or what I was going to have, but they said I could have CBT. Yeah. Now, the baby bereavement counsellor told me that CBT was not a good idea for me, but I wanted something that helped me come to terms with all sorts of elements of her death yep. um, and the postnatal period. So um, I accepted gratefully, and then I had a counsellor, a therapist, for five sessions, and she completely disappeared so I had five sessions with her, and, uh, you know, that was a personal issue. Yeah. Uh, so I'd had to wait. I think I waited nine months before I got five sessions with her. Yeah. Then she disappeared, and then I think I waited about another four or five months, and I got another therapist. Yeah. Had to start all over again. Had to start all over again, and they took me, guess where they placed me for this second lot of therapy? At St. George's? No. Yeah. I was it was at my GP surgery and the room was next to the uh, antenatal assessment Oh my goodness. Room. And on my first session all I could hear was the Doppler going yep. and that the heartbeat the yep. heartbeat noise. Yeah. And I had not heard that noise since uh, 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 since your last midwife visit. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So I was massively triggered. I just had a meltdown in the middle of the session. Yeah. I, I really can't be put in here with this noise. And the poor therapist, she hadn't thought it through. No. And she didn't know what to do. And no. she, she, was, um, she was very apologetic. Yeah. And then after that, I did uh, carry on with the sessions. I thought about just giving up, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But I thought, I've got, I've got to do it. I know I need something. I need something. I've got to do it. So I carried on. I had 15 sessions with her. Um, and it was very, very helpful for me. But it was very, very in-depth and very, very emotional. Uh, and it meant reframing some of the experiences I'd had, particularly Guy's funeral. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, Guy's funeral was not a positive experience for me at all. It wasn't a proper saying goodbye. And so um, I, had to, I had to reframe in my head what I would have wanted yeah. if I really could have had what I wanted. Yeah. Um, and that was very helpful. Uh, and it helped me process also everyone else's reactions to her death, yep. particularly the negative one. Yeah. And one of the things that people don't um, realise after you've um, had a baby who has died, either before or after the, the birth, um, is that the milk still comes. Um, yeah, how, how, so... did you, how, how was that experience for you? Yeah, so, you know, nobody thinks about the postnatal period after, uh, a, you know, a baby has died. And, of course, part of that is lactation. Um, and um, I think it's really important for mothers in their own individual ways to think how they want to stop lactation. A lot of people actually bombarded me with what I should be doing and how I should be doing it. But uh, lactation 
uh, I just let it I let it go for as long as it was meant to go mm-hmm. um, and I didn't you know I didn't try and stop it artificially yeah um, and I actually at first I was so upset that I was lactating yeah and after that almost I, like adding insult I, to injury it's adding insult to injury it's exactly you know the fact that I was having to now go through this this stage um, and then secondly I, I I grieved when the lactation stopped mm-hmm. I knew that, that that was it. That was the end of any sort of contact I had with my baby. Yep. Um, and I just want to make one other important point is that when a woman has given birth and her baby has died, she still needs to have the same kind of postnatal period. Yes. You know, thinking about physical recovery, obviously emotional recovery. And it's kind of like, well, because your baby died, you don't really, you know, you didn't really birth your baby in the same way you still went through a pregnancy and you still went through a birth and then you also went through grief so actually it's it's really really hard yeah yes so I still needed to remember that I was in a postnatal period um and as you say lactating and doing all my body was doing all the things that you to keep a baby happy and healthy and uh, that I I don't think that is uh, probably talked about enough um so um yeah yeah um and then how would you signpost a friend or a client who is in a similar situation Are, are there you know were there any apart from Dr Google you know were there any uh, support groups or websites or organizations that you found um, a really particularly helpful use sort of source of information yeah so um obviously there are some major charities out there that, that can support after uh, after bereavement um i i think that you know each person has to find their way through that um Sands is obviously the, the, the best known charity. Yeah. Um, I did I did contact them a couple of times. Um, unfortunately, I think I was just a little bit unlucky that nobody picked up the phone when yeah. I was trying to contact. Eventually, I did get through to a lovely lady who did talk me through what I was feeling in the moment. Um, I, I think I've been triggered by somebody and I wanted to talk through that trigger. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I have to say I, I didn't call child bereavement I don't know if you ever contacted no, them but no. I didn't contact child bereavement um and apart from that um oh I did try and uh, go to a local SANS group um but I didn't find that the first meeting I had fulfilled what I needed um and so I I have to say I slightly gave up on the on the bigger charities yeah and I and, and I don't want to be disrespectful in that way because I'm sure for some people they have been immensely, immensely helpful. Yeah. But for me, I, I think I needed to perhaps tread my own path. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to, I, I found the one-to-one CBT counselling, obviously the best thing that worked for me. Yeah, yeah, I found that helpful as well. Okay, so thank you very much for sharing your story of Sky's birth and death. Um, we feel really, really privileged that we've been able to talk about this. I remember it at the time. Um, it was, you know, I it was it was good to talk to you about it and get these these stories out on in the open because, you know, these are our babies. We we do need to talk about them, but also as people who work with parents and families, we more than other some other occupations might be touched by you know these situations more often than others.
Absolutely. And I really thank you, Leila, for being there when I needed you and you answered the phone really quickly. Okay. I'm very well. We've talked about me and I'm, I'm so, you know, I hope one day you perhaps will tell your story too. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. 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 Thank you very much.